If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson, and today I'm sitting down with Natalia Shuliak, Chief Operating Officer at DoubleCloud, a platform to help data-driven companies build sub-second analytics on proven open-source technologies like ClickHouse, Kafka, Airflow, and others. Natalia, thank you so much for joining me from Paris today. Thanks to you, Chris. Happy to be with you here. Well, I have lots of questions for you, but maybe for our listeners, you could tell us a little bit first about your experience, where you're coming from and what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a very vast question. So I've done lots of things in my life and I'm coming from a very, very far away. So as you said, I'm talking to you from Paris. By origin, I'm from Belarus and it's been a long time. I I, I left the country, uh, did lots of geographies in my life. And currently I'm joking, I'm, I'm adopted French. So it's been more than 10 years. I'm living here. I really love the country and I built my life here. Professionally, I've been doing lots of different things as well, but I was always focusing on launching new businesses, uh, either as startups, as businesses of my own, or working for like big companies and helping them develop businesses or new businesses uh, for those. So lots of lots of different things. Yeah. And I want to hear a little bit more about maybe some of your experience or some of those milestones and how they helped you get to where you are today. So what, in terms of people that, yeah, if you were going to give just sort of some of the key highlights for people listening especially those who obviously are interested in data and how data can be harnessed for better insights, for better product development. That tends to be what we talk about here. What are some of those key highlights that you would offer? You mean, is it a question more from career perspective or is the question more from, you know, what, how we're working today with the data? Like, give me, give me the angle. Yeah, of course. No, I, I, so first let's hear a little bit about your career and yeah. some of those, those highlights. And then I want to probably dig in to see how you, how you, can sort of share some of that knowledge you've gained from those experiences for mm-hmm. our listeners. So let's yeah. hear let's hear about you and some of the highlights of the things that you've been yeah. doing. So one of uh, as I've said, you know, I've been doing different things in my life, but always focusing on launching something new. I think overall, it's the whole secret to your career, meaning you really can achieve something that matters for you and always be busy with something interesting. So be open to new experiences. So for me, I got into the tech world pretty by complete chance. So I was fully in marketing, was dreaming to create, you know, a big go-to-market strategy and create a huge brand out of something. And this mm-hmm. is when some investors found me and they said, you know what, we have a fantastic team of developers and these developers created fantastic applications for Palm and Pocket PC devices, if you remember those. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a pre-iPhone era. 
And you know what? We want to put these uh, like applications we created on their marketplaces, but we don't know what to do after that. Can you help us? And we want to actually grow on the US market and on UK market and in Germany and actually everywhere for whoever is going to buy our applications. And this is how I got into the tech world. I, I had no clue, you know, I couldn't understand what uh, fully a word application means and how it works, but I found it extremely interesting, something new, and this is how I got into, into the tech world. And after that, I was always, you know, there were constantly some new projects coming up or some new trends that I just pursued, you know. So I got into Microsoft and Microsoft at that stage was pivoting from a company that everybody knew as a Windows company to, uh, to something very new. So I was among those people who were launching Microsoft Azure here in France. And it was amazing because at that time, no one fully understood the whole trend with the cloud. Everybody read the report like, okay, cloud is big, cloud is big, cloud is big, but nobody fully understood what it means, you know, and who's mm -hmm. going to buy it and why would these companies go after that and so on. So it was amazing. And now have a look, Microsoft, it's one of the Microsoft biggest businesses, basically a cloud company, right? And then... At a certain moment, I got tired of corporations. And actually, I did an executive MBA at one of the best business schools in the world, which is called INSEAD. And during this time there, I actually understood, you know what? I really miss the startup world and I want to go back to the startup land. And I started looking for, you know, what are the big themes out there? What is, what is big? And big was data. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I really, I really want to get into that. And I was pursuing for some time, you know, different applications, different interviews, and so on. So I got into Databricks. Databricks today is a very famous pre-IPO company mm -hmm. uh, that gained its popularity among lots of enterprise and small companies out there. But at that time, it was still a startup of Series B, and there was third person on the ground here in France for the South Emir region doing like pure business development work and finding the first partners, first deals. And it was amazing because... AI is now we're living in the second wave, but at that mm -hmm. time, AI was living its first wave of popularity. So absolutely every CTO had an AI budget, you know, and they wanted to do some cool projects. And you were talking to the CTOs about data, about these cool projects you can do with data. And it was, it was an amazing experience. And this is how I got into the data world. And then after that, I was still changing uh, companies, developing in different roles, uh, uh, again, different businesses uh, around data, like uh, observability and so on. And this is when Double Cloud Opportunity basically knocked on my door. There was a team of developers building this platform where they believed that they can actually help the companies build data pipelines or data use cases with managed open source technologies on top of public clouds. And I'm like, okay. I kind of I heard about ClickHouse. It's one of the fastest growing all up database for data analytics out there. So it's gaining its popularity. And like there are companies like Uber, like Spotify that are using it or Disney. So I kind of believe that there is a, if there is an adoption without anything. So if you put a business around it, maybe there it, it will accelerate certain things. And on Double Cloud, we have Kafka, and we were already planning at that time to have uh, managed airflow. You know, these are the things that the companies are using or planning to use, and it's addressing the use cases. And this is how I joined Double Cloud, saying to myself, okay, I've been doing sales, I've been doing marketing, I've been doing operations, I've been doing business development, but everything, uh, one thing at a time. Now maybe it's time to lead the startup where I can do everything at once and bring the business to its existence and develop it. 
So yeah, so, so you've stayed happen. ahead of uh, the game, like in a, in a lot of ways. You've been sort of at the at the cutting edge, and I wonder what that means to you, or what it and when you look back on it. What are some of the things that you chose to pursue? I'm sure you know, five, ten years ago, you could have gone in different directions. I wonder yeah. if you could say a little bit about why you chose certain directions and what that meant at the time. It's a good question. So I think I'm always motivated by things that I'm calling them looking into into the future, things that are being born and maybe, you know, addressing something new. And, you know, there is an amazing book which is written by an author called Herminia Ibarra, and it's called Act as a Leader. Completely misleading title, don't believe in it. The book is actually about a different thing. It said to you the following. So if you're stuck in your own career, and you start thinking, you know, okay, what is my next dream job? Oh, my next dream job is this. And you go after this dream uh, job. You're completely wrong. Because if you're stuck in your career today, you're stuck there because of your previous experiences. But your next goal, you're actually basing your goal on your previous experiences as well. So highly probable that your dream jo- job that you're planning for today, based on previous mm-hmm. experiences, is completely wrong. So the whole idea is that you actually need to create new experiences and only after that you will uh, find a real dream job. And that's basically what I was doing unconsciously all, all, all my life, all, all my career life. I was, okay, I was motivated by some new things, but then I was looking for different experiences within that that I would enjoy, that it would be, it would be a pleasure for me. And this is how then the new job actually was appearing out of these experiences. There was always something that they could offer as something impactful for, for new roles. And this is how I was joining new, new, hmm. new kind of companies on new roles. You make that sound really easy, but I, I mean, I think that's, that's actually much more difficult than it sounds. How do you actually put that into practice? Or are there any experiences when you look at decisions you made where you could actually sort of like demonstrate how to do that? Because I'm sure I think a lot of people try, but aren't necessarily successful. So what are some of the decisions and the steps you took to make those changes or go in that direction? Yeah, well, there one there are just some principles. You know, one of the principles is it's easier to say no if there is a choice. But if there is no choice, you cannot say no to anything. So just go, like close your eyes, jump into this water, try and just just continue. You know, when you work for a corporation like Microsoft, you have a feeling that, okay, there is no life outside of corporation, that the corporation pays you best money possible and you're working on the best things possible and you're actually at the center of the world. So it's completely false impression, actually, uh, by the way, (laughs) and perception of the things. When you leave the corporation and you start doing something else, you discover that the world is completely different. And actually, it's extremely interesting. And quite often, it pays much more than what you were expecting. But it's it's a scary experience to, to leave the company. But when I left and I moved to Databricks, a month after, I said, why? Why on earth I haven't done it earlier? You know, it was such a, such an amazing experience. I, I had such a great time at Databricks. So, but you need to close the eyes and just jump into this water and just just do it. And it's easier to say no when you have a choice. This, so this is one one principle. And second principle, quite often, is just a question of luck, a question hmm. of you know numbers game. So there is pure luck, and but there is luck also that you create yourself by creating lots of experiences or lots of choice, like, you know, like in gambling, you do uh, or like buying lottery tickets. Uh, Sooner or later, you win if you buy a lot, right? So in the jobs, it's the same. Sooner or later, you have a job if you apply a lot and it's a numbers game, right? Interesting. Yeah. So what are, when you think about today's climate or the environment you're working in, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the ways that you're approaching them now? It's a good question. The environment today is extremely uncertain, so everybody knows it. So 
there are too many things happening in the world and there are like uh, shifts uh, very like lots of shifts uh, happening positive and negative so and that's why the environment is uncertain it's not that the companies don't have money anymore but the companies are waiting you know let's let's wait mm-hmm. and see uh, what's what's going to happen well you operate you 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 obviously go a little bit to survival mode and being frugal that's the word uh, we're using you you're trying to be to the point bringing the value being frugal every day you know and just doing the best uh, what you can do and that's basically how you operate so in our business i mean we're selling technologies that help other companies work with the data but we obviously trying to be data driven as well so from one side being a startup you have to experiment a lot but from another side you still look at the data and and today the crisis you look at the data even more so that's uh, yeah that's how we do yeah and i wonder if you could take us a little bit through your role either either maybe on a day-to-day or in a you know on average in your role what data are you looking at what questions are you asking or decision points are you facing my task is to build a business around the technology and the business means find the things that generate the revenue, control the spend of the dollars of PL, and also make sure that there are efficient operations. Efficient mm-hmm. operations would mean, for example, efficient support you know, for our customers, but also it means that there are processes that help us you know, scale and grow as per the plan. My day-to-day as a result starts with I'm opening our analytics dashboards and I'm looking what's going on with the business, you know, what are the key things that changed, you know, overnight and so on. So, uh, and that's very important because, you know, when you're a big company and, for example, you're responsible for the revenue, you would look on the dollars, right? Mm -hmm. But also if you're a great leader, you would look actually on all, all the KPIs that would lead you to the dollars. And sometimes you're looking into those KPIs because you know that the dollars will come in six months or maybe in one year, but you need these KPIs today. And these mm-hmm. are the, the data points that I'm, I'm looking constantly at. Interesting. Yeah. So in terms of narrowing in, it's interesting, and I don't want to get too bogged down by KPIs, but what level of granularity do you tend to look at? Like what kinds of KPIs and how many would you say that you're looking at? Because I've heard for definitely from others, some people have like hundreds of things that they're sort of trying to monitor, which seems quite a lot. Others are focused sometimes on just like one number, which maybe, you know, not the right fit. But what kind of granularity are you looking at when you think about KPIs? Maybe you could take us through a couple of them. Yeah, so it really depends. So for example, I mean, there are two types of questions. Like High level, as a company, what matters most this year? And for example, the answer would be revenue. (laughs) And then obviously, uh, for example, every week, you know, on weekly business review, we would look at where we are. Is it progressing or not? And, uh, you know, if it's progressing, why? If it's not progressing, what's going on? So, and that's kind of high level sort of story, a very typical one. But then it would be a very other level of granularity uh, where, for example, and it's uh, a hard, uh, actually, data analytics question in itself, you know, everybody has marketing budget and we are no exception. So we have this marketing budget and then we want to attract certain, you know, people that would uh, sooner or later convert to our customers and then we'll generate some revenue. So as a business leader, what ideally you would want to understand is, how much dollar spent will generate the lifetime value for you when and, and you know, it, like how long it's happening, what is happening along the way between this one dollar to, to something else. It's extremely tough, actually, question. 
Why? Because actually, in the reality, the systems are completely separated uh, in absolutely any business. So marketing, if you're doing paid media, it would be something with, for example, Google tools, you know, some advertising cabinets. So it's it's there. Mm-hmm. You would see the analytics. Then, uh, you know, on your CRM, you would see uh, the way of the customers if they accepted to share the data with you. So you would see what they are doing on your website and how they are converting. So maybe you connect, luckily, some dollars spent into, you know, their conversion. But then, you know, how much they're spending on you, it's a billing system, which is completely separated from, Mm -hmm. obviously, Google advertising cabinet, uh, cabinet or whatever. So uh, as a result, you know, one of the one of the first questions that as a business leader you ask is like, guys, can you please give me one data warehouse where everything will be there? And then in my dashboard, I would see, you know, what's going on with the business and how things convert to how this $1 converts into a long-time lifetime value and yeah. what it means. So, but that's the level of granularity we're going into. And what are... If I mean, we can jump into what you're doing, or maybe you want to speak a little more generally to like the general COO position. But I wonder what kinds of pitfalls might you encounter? Because you've already said, if you're looking at a bunch of different things and you're not necessarily, if you don't have a lovely dashboard that shows how they all intersect, which again, easier said than done, then you can fall into some pitfalls right there. But I wonder if there are common ones that you are aware of that maybe you're actively trying to prevent or maybe you've experienced before what are the pitfalls that coos can face yeah well the pitfall would be a a go too deep so depth is important but you can actually get buried under under Mm -hmm. the numbers of some conversions on how many people clicked on what and so on and so forth so this is the major pitfall and i'm talking a lot with ctos or cpos you know and that's that's a common trend across absolutely any data-driven company or the company that's building data products what i'm always saying what we we're always doing is the following so let's make one step back and ask it, and doesn't matter what your role is, CTO, COO, CPO, and ask ourselves, what matters for business? What has the biggest impact, you know, on the business? And uh, then how different things can help to answer this major question. You know, and uh, for example, my approach would be to draw something in the mirror board. And, you know, if you start with the revenue, which is, for example, the major kind of business KPI for any company, but you start with the revenue. Then you ask yourself, okay, what contributes to the revenue? And and you draw arrows to it. And then you continue every arrow you would ask, and and to this, what contributes to this? So you will get down to a very granular level, but then Mm -hmm. you can actually track, you know, what specifically has the most major impact on my business. And sometimes, you know, people discover funny things. So it's not an example from my business, but from one of our customers, they are selling data products to others. And they realize that the biggest impact on their business is how they develop is their not so big data sets, but that their clients are querying a lot. And they're querying this so much that sometimes these data sets and these queries actually become so long that they, their respective customers, they abandon them and they do not perceive their product as something serious and the, the products cannot develop. They cannot sell more into these companies. They cannot grow usage and so on and so forth. And they're like, the CTO of this company actually said, okay, if this is the most impact from business perspective, 
this tiny data set has on me. So we need to solve the problem. We need to make a query much faster, get to some some sort of subsequent uh, sort of query. And this will have a huge impact on my business. So, you know, and, and the moment this CTO resolved this problem, it has a huge impact on the business and on his career, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> this is how important it is to really make this step back and said, okay, what's most important for my business and what contributes to it, you know, and this is, this is how you do it. Hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting that you talk about like a Miro sketch, for example. Mm-hmm. I wonder what you have found to be most effective when trying to understand all the data that's coming in, but also in making decisions. So I'm sure you have a team that you discuss things with and make decisions with. So in those kinds of discussions or when you're trying to better understand something, what do you like literally do? So are you using Miro a lot or are you using something else to understand the data? And then how do you make decisions about that? Yeah, good question. Now, Mirror is more to create concepts, to just uh, visualize something that you maybe have as a scheme in your head, but you okay. need it to, to be visual, to, to become actionable. Analyzing data is often happening through, you know, like literally through dashboards. That's not new. That's for the same for everybody. But what we do a lot is, uh, I mean, everybody says it. So we're a customer-driven company, customer-first uh, sort of company. But the reality, reality is the following. Sometimes from data, you see something, but you're still asking yourself, is it real what I see? And then what we do quite often, we are like, okay, maybe our hypothesis is this. So we form a hypothesis, but then we go to a completely different set of companies, for example, to check if this hypothesis is real. So, for example, one of the major things is like if you're a product company and you're selling something to others or providing some sort of service, you want to understand, you know, what is the other's ecosystem, you know, where you're integrating to and how it resonates with them. It's realistic or not. But then, you know, okay, let's imagine you, you, you have some set of customers, they bought something and so on. The problem of the data is that it can be biased. Maybe you sold this not because it's, uh, for example, you sold something in France or in US. Is it because this is where it's popular or is it because your sellers were there and they just, they had network and that's a bias in the whole data, right? Oh, and that's why you actually take this hypothesis. For example, something is being very popular in certain set of companies, let's say in California. You take hypothesis, you go to a very different type of customers and you verify the hypothesis and see if it, if it holds or not. And this is uh, what, what we do as well with the data. If you're ready to harness the power of data to drive business outcomes, Enroll in Pragmatic Institute's Data Science for Business Leaders course. Learn how to collaborate with data professionals, gain actionable insights, and solve problems with data. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com slash data. Yeah, I wonder if you could say a little bit more about the sort of the data stack that you're using, the different elements of what you're using, and how that's changed. So I want to first ask how it's changed, and then I want to just to anticipate where you think it might be going. But in terms of yeah, what you're using or what you think is most effective, we can get into this very specifics or we can get more general, but what does the, the data stack that you're using look like and how has that changed over time? 
Yeah, it's a good question. We actually, because we are we adopters of our own, the, the open source technologies we are, we are providing others as managed, we even have public talks about that. So, for example, for the observability stack, we built our own observability on ClickHouse, Grafana, you know, this, this sort of our own technology because we have, so basically, Double Cloud as a platform provides the modern data stack. And modern data stack has lots of definitions. And it's been not that maybe more than any longer because it's been the definition and the it was there for a while but still you know what it means is that it's a modular system you take whatever module you want to build something you know that will address your data needs and usually there is an etl or some uh, well it, there are different debates in the ecosystem is it like etl is it elt is it something else but basically you need something to replicate data into for example your data warehouse and then you need something to analyze and then you need something to visualize and so on so we have technologies for all of that and Basically, we're using ourselves these technologies as well. What's changed over time that, I mean, maybe maybe the specific application has changed or the specific, you know, obviously the version or something, but I wonder if there are major changes that have happened along the way. Like, have you decided to do something that you didn't do before in terms of using the stack or has that been relatively steady? I wonder, like, what changes have come along the way? Well, what changes? The major change, you know, this marketing slash lifetime value example that I gave in the very beginning, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it was really a pain, you know, because you, when you're launching, you really want to track everything because every tiny data point gives you an idea what can work. And the whole problem of a startup, you're not a big company where you already found and you're just scaling and improving operations. So in a startup, you do lots of tests and the more data you collect from a test, the more it will tell you if you continue doing this or not. So what we didn't have, we didn't have a you know single data warehouse where mm-hmm. we would collect this and just analyze this in the right way. So this is one of the things that we changed. It's, it's extremely important to you know collect things into one place where you can analyze quickly and make fast decisions. And it, at the same time, it shouldn't cost you a fortune because if you're a startup and yeah. all startups should be frugal startups, right? So you, you cannot spend uh, tons of money on some, I don't know, proprietary technologies that cost too much. Yeah. And I wonder about that too, because I think more and more we're all seeing proprietary technologies and different offerings that might be very niche or they might be, you know, a catch-all solution that offers everything. But more and more, I think people are, are presented with options, especially the option to update into a new system or make some change so that they're future-proof or that they're, you know, ready for what's coming. How do you kind of negotiate that? How do you make decisions about the stack or the way that you're using it so that you don't have to keep changing it or maybe you do plan to update it at certain intervals like how do you how do you think about the future when you're considering what you're using now and making plans well Again, we as a company that provides more than data stack, there are certain principles we believe in that we realize ourselves and that we're always talking with the, with our customers and users about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I truly believe that the world is the following. So first of all, the uh, modern data stack should provide you with uh, real-time or near real-time data. If you cannot do data analytics in, at that speed, you're missing out. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there is... There is too much data out there from one side, but from another side, you know, if you're dealing with the customers and the customers changed, you know, the, uh, the I think the last year McKinsey research showed that, uh, you know, 90% of business leaders 
they when they are saying I want analytics fast, they mean actually less than ten seconds. So that's real time, almost near real time, okay. and that changed versus every day previously. So basically, what you want is to open your dashboard anytime, and it's not only you as a CEO or whatever C C level role, but any level of the company should open the dashboard, see what's going on, make a decision based based on that. Mm-hmm. So real time, near real time. Second is about open source. So there's a huge shift, I think, in the industry. There are lots of great proprietary technologies out there. But, you know, for the last 10 years, lots of companies were buying data technologies with the promise that it will be something. So quite a lot of companies now have 15, 20 tools on their P&L, paying tons of money still not getting lots of data and still their whole analytics is batch. And, you know, they are seeing one dashboard re- renewed every day, once a day, and that's it, you know, and, but the world changed. So, and that's why, you know, we believe uh, that, and I personally believe that open source is great to go forward as a next step. Why? Because there's a huge intelligence out there behind the open source. And if you're doing it as a managed, you know, it's still much cheaper than proprietary technologies. You're still not locked. You can migrate between the vendors and that's fantastic. And as uh, managed open source, meaning that somebody will support it for you. So you resolve the problem of, I don't have enough of resources or I have a hard time hiring somebody or the competences on the market. So, and that would be uh, very important. And the last, uh, yeah, the last thing is getting back a little bit on real time. That's what we're pursuing for ourselves as well. You know, you previously needed to when you when you built batch type of data analytics. It means what? It means that you have the data. Somebody or some or something usually schedules to put the data at certain time into the data warehouse. And then you, as a data analyst, you query this data. But then you always have a question, okay, was the data updated or not? Normally, yes, but maybe something happened. Or actually, maybe uh, the systems were slow. And so it creates so many questions and it's so many resources that it's, hmm. it's, it's a complete nonsense in today's reality. So in this real-time story, it means that the whole thing can become much leaner, less resources, less people, but you're on the go, you analyze different things and you make business decisions uh, uh, based on this. And it's important for B2C type of businesses. It's important for B2B in fast uh, space kind of world, you know, so that's where data modern, modern data stack changes. And this is where the technologies should address this. And this is why our own choice for for us ourselves would be a Kafka, would be ClickHouse, would be Airflow, you know, like things that allow you to analyze data properly, fast and without, you know, breaking things up or, you know, compromising on, you know, speed of analytics. Yeah. Yeah. When you're thinking about preparation or what's coming, I think you you already mentioned that we're in what could be considered a sort of second wave of AI where it seems like there are a lot of promises. Either the world has completely changed and nothing will ever be the same, or it's a lot of hype, or maybe it's some kind of middle ground. But I wonder, how do you see that yourself? So when you're hearing about all of these amazing things that are going on. And when you see like chat GPT and Bard and, and all of these things coming out, how are you looking at it? And in what way are you able to identify or at least maybe consider that X is hype and you shouldn't worry? Whereas, you know, Y is something legitimate that we need to be preparing for. How do you think about those things? Well, I think it's always about the use case. 
mm-hmm. you know, on a personal level, I, I was investing for quite some time in crypto. And actually, I, I still believe in the blockchain use case, but, you know, it's it's more belief versus a real real use case uh, still, right? Hmm. Chat GPT, well, I didn't try others. Maybe they're as great, but I tried the Chat GPT. So Chat GPT, in a matter of several days, became to me the go-to place to ask a question because I don't want to Google too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the real use case. And the second real use case is that, okay, you know what? I have this long text. Can you please give me a summary or uh, came up with an idea how I can do X, Y, Z with this uh, long text? And yes, maybe it's still on the uh, level. I mean, a person would do it maybe better, but it's a question of time. So, and sometimes cost. So, and here it's fast and cost efficient. So, so it means that there is a use case and it means that this is real. This is a real threat. So I don't believe that, I mean, it, it can generate if AI can absolutely replace quite a lot of uh, professions, but then what are we going to do with all these billions of people in the street? You know, 100 people is dangerous, right? So I don't believe that the jobs will disappear. But uh, there is a use case. It means that, you know, this new way for of AI is real. It's not hype, it's a real thing. And without saying too much, you know, we ourselves are looking into integrating certain things into our products because we know it's, it's just human. It will be simpler. Instead of, for example, analyzing data, you would prefer... AI actually tell you what you see, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because sometimes you're actually spending quite a lot of time trying to understand, okay, this is, and mm-hmm. if you could just have a summary of what you see, it's amazing. And that's basically uh, how I, I, I feel that this one is not hype. This one is a real use case. Yeah. And I wonder if you, if you think about how others are using it, because I think that's one of the the questions, right? Is if you, in whatever capacity, adapt to say chat GPT or that kind of technology, the generative AI, and your competitors are also doing it, then at best you're sort of staying even, but then there's probably ways that you could use it better than others. Or how do you see that as well? Because if everyone has access to it, which they sort of do, at least from what I understand, then how do you maintain a competitive advantage with your business? Well, I think the rules of business, they do not change. How you can outcompete by smarter people, by smarter mm-hmm. go-to-market strategy and having some competitive advantage, right? So I, I agree with you, maybe because everybody has access, so it will be just a must for lots of kind of companies. Just just the way, uh, you know, like previously it became a must to have a computer on every, every table. So now it will become a must just to have within your product some AI. And, you know, Microsoft already introducing it into its its respective products. So it's just a question of time, how different companies will do it. So the rules of business won't change. Okay, this will be a new basis. So now what's next? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. And then in doing so, in making those changes, what kinds of considerations do you also think about? I know there's, you know, like GDPR and data protection and all of these kinds of things that probably are just added on top of considerations of like, if we're going to start using generative AI, where is that data coming from? Where is it going? So I can imagine while it also, while it may simplify some tasks, it also makes some things much more complicated, like cybersecurity, like just data protection in general. How do you think about those things or how do you build strategy considering that? Yeah, you're so right. You know, there was a case recently in Italy where some data Mm. was compromised and Obviously, it's bad. And uh, obviously, if you're 
trying to understand something about your competitor, don't give to ChatGPT the, your, your information because it will learn on it and it will uh, share it with competitors. That's, yeah. that's basically how you do it. Yeah, and that's that's actually the GDPR sort of story. It's very interesting. You know, we see quite a lot of businesses. So Double Cloud is a European-based company. So we follow the GDPR rules and so on. And we do this on purpose because we see that there are more and more companies that are worried about these data breaches and so on. So they need uh, somebody, some other company that would make them a promise that they are compliant and the data can disappear. And these companies cannot go, you know, to, for example, American providers uh, because laws are different, you know, and so on and so forth. But it's a huge ethical question overall. And this is this is where there is a huge shift in the world right now, you know. Who owns the data owns the world. So you know, how things will evolve from here. It's a, it's, it's a big, big question. So so you need to, well, I mean, obviously compliance will be there, but then fraud will also increase. You know, uh, I don't know if you read it or not, but 90% of the uh, use case for LLM apparently will be uh, about fraud. So, hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully there will be also, uh, you know, some counter kind of <laughs> arguments, counter forces. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and well, and that's just it, right? It could help people become better at fraud, but it also better at detecting it. And so, yeah. it's a, an arms race, which I think is what's going on in in a lot of areas. Yeah, and it also makes me think. Actually, I think if I remember, it was a while ago when I was reading this, but some of the people, some of the Italian government was banning certain use cases yeah. because of certain uh, because of those kinds of fears, and it made me think like. Obviously, you want to be compliant with GDPR. You want to follow your company's ethical stance, but you also have to follow the laws. Mm-hmm. How much are you thinking about how laws or those kinds of guidance, let's say, not necessarily like a, a legal restriction, but how that will be affected with these kinds of new technologies? In other words, how much are you investigating or, or potentially worried about the changes to things like GDPR when these kinds of technologies start to appear. So are you at all worried that they that certain things could be banned or certain kinds of practices could be banned so that you know you have to be careful of what you invest in? It's a good question. It's one step at a time, right? You need to follow the trends, but at the same time, as I said, the business rules do not change, you know. So as long as you provide real value and there's a real use case, the laws will change so, but it I don't believe that it will kill the business as is uh, for any company if there is a real use case, if there is a real story. So it's rare when some law completely, you know, wipes mm. out the the full, you're never alone in your business. So there will be several competitors, right? And uh, they all lose the business. I, and I don't believe in it. Or it was not a real business, it was a hype, you know? So mm. that, that's how I think about it. And then I guess as you're weighing decisions about what to what to focus on, what are you looking at or, or how are you starting to make those decisions? And that can be, again, more specific to you and your business or more generally on in the landscape. But you've seen a lot of change over the last, we've all seen a lot of change over the last few years, but you've all obviously been participating in it. So what are you looking out for and what, yeah, what's on the horizon that's gathering your attention? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. You know, there are, there are several ways of how you do it. One of the way, um, it's Amazon type of way, being real customer centered. It means what? It means talk to the customers, test lots of hypotheses with the real companies out there and do what they want, right? So, and this is how you kind of grow and you, you do something real. 
Another way would be uh, very different, you know, it would be to stop the noise actually completely and to go and understand the real things that are happening out there, you know, in terms of how people live, how economy behaves and so on and so forth. This is how you will understand, you know, that, okay, there's something new is being created in the world and you can, you can get, you know, uh, after this. So the tech world is a little bit, there was a little bubble that kind of burst it, right? So, and there is a big kind of question right now, okay, what's next? So, you know, and usually there is a technological wave and then it's industrial wave and then it's again a technological and then it's industrial. And it may be right now we're approaching this industrial kind of wave and we see it already in the States, lots of investments are in green energy, you know, in, in all of these uh, things, uh, which are basically bringing the industries to the next level. So, mm. and, and then if you follow this and you kind of forget about the noise of AI or anything, you actually know that this is where you need to find, the, if you, for example, if you're building, building a startup or a business, but this is where you can find the real value you can provide to these companies or build a company around this. So that's basically two, two ways how to do it. There's a great podcast, which is called the How to Build a Startup. It's an old one. It's, I think it's from 2012 or something like that. It was done in Stanford uh, for students. Different people were talking about their experience, how they built the startup. And one of the things was, you know what, if you want to be a disruptor, actually stop listening and do something completely hmm. uh, unimaginable. You know, this is how you will disrupt the story. So hmm. stop verifying this hypothesis, actually find what will be after that. You know, so that's another way how you could do it. Yeah, you used an interesting term, noise. And I think a lot of people, obviously, if you if you ask them, they'll say, yeah, I want to get rid of noise. I want to get to the most important. But I think that's actually, again, very difficult to do in some situations. So how do you identify, if you want to cut through the noise, how do you do that? What What is some of the noise that you're able to get rid of in terms of your attention? Well, news, one of the biggest ones. There was a time in my life I didn't read news for one year and a half at all. And then I realized nothing happened. When you, you're, you're like, <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. you read the news, you think things are like this, 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 and actually uh, nothing is happening. It's still the same kind of story. Okay, now it would be maybe we had some pretty big uh, things that happened in the last three years. But again, other than that, nothing happened, you know. So, and that's, that's a huge source of uh, noise. You know, a friend of mine, he was pivoting his life and uh, he uh, he actually cut off access to lots of things. And for several months, he was reading only very specialized newsletters from on very specific topics, trying to understand what's really going on. Hmm. And he cut everything else. He he didn't know what's happening. He didn't follow the, he kind of really cut off everything else he could have. And he found some interesting niche and uh, he got lots of support around this and he kind of very successful right now. And now I see he was actually even a little bit in advance, but he, he actually moving into where the world is moving only now, but he found it already two, two years ago. So huh. that's how he did it. Interesting. Yeah. You know, as we start to wrap up here, I wonder for people listening, what are some things, let's say, let's pick two, right? What are two things that they could do, people who are either working with data themselves or working with data professionals? So, you know, one, one step removed maybe. But based on what we've been talking about, I mean, you've given lots of insights. I wonder if you would recommend two things that people do who are listening so that they can make some kind of improvement that they'll see very quickly. So if they, if they started doing this one or two things, let's say today or tomorrow, they would start to see an effect quickly. What would you recommend? 
Well, I would recommend like three simple steps. So have a look what has most impact on the business. Find the data product or data set that actually provides this effect that, you know, it can be tiny, but it has the most impact. Mm-hmm. And find then the way how you can improve its performance, decrease its cost, or change it completely. And that's how that's that's how you will have the most impact on the business, and this will be the most interesting project you will be working on. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. You make all of these things sound so simple that I wish I saw the world like that because, I, I mean, I think it's so easy to get bogged down and to just get affected by the noise, but I do really yeah. like that advice and it, it's simple but i think it would probably work if you could execute it the way you have natalia i really appreciate your your insights today for people listening who want to learn more about you or follow your work where should they check out just connect with me on linkedin and they post some sometimes some things there okay perfect so we'll make sure we put that in the show notes yeah it's been a pleasure talking to you about the work that you've been doing it's fascinating i'm sure that you'll continue to be on the cutting edge and i look forward to watching that on linkedin and other places so thank you so much thank you very much chris as well thanks today to charts it was a pleasure for me 